And welcome, everyone. We are back. The new season of BAMS Radio is the University of Alabama is just under now two weeks away from their season opener at 6.30 against Middle Tennessee inside Bryant-Denny Stadium. The both scrimmage of fall camp are now in the rearview mirror. Uh, a lot of jobs have been won, uh, but the biggest one, I think, is still up in the air, and that's quarterback. We'll talk about that today uh, as all the intel is coming out of the scrimmage. Our usual cast of characters is back, myself, uh, Drew Yarman, and I'm joined as always by uh, the wizard, Thomas Watts, behind the curtain. He does a great job in uh, this Port City and Mobile, keeping us on the air and keeping us uh, straight and uh, giving his ex- excellent analytical takes and thoughts on this football team. And, of course, from 89 to 93 and 92 national champion, William Redfish Barger joining us as well. And I will say, I will go on the record on this podcast and say I had not seen Thomas Watts since COVID, and he can now look me in the eye. He had a late growth spurt. Congratulations, Thomas. Uh, you are you are growing in your career. You have a hell of a uh, everyday job, and now you had a late growth spurt, brother. You, uh, when I turned and saw you uh, in Tuscaloosa recently, it kind of shocked me. It's been a minute since we've uh, been able to cross paths, but it was good to see you. Absolutely, Drew. It was uh, it was good to see you. Good to uh, good to see some action between the white lines that we can give impressions of, if not specifics, on this podcast this afternoon. Absolutely, man. You looked good. It was good to see your mom as well, and good to see everybody. And William, I know you were in Tuscaloosa as well, uh, and uh, you uh, you've been uh, had your ear to the ground, been and getting uh, you've been on the phone, you've been uh, getting uh, information. So all of us have. It's just been, it was an interesting time. It's been an interesting fall camp, and I was talking to somebody about it yesterday, and probably, even though, uh, you know, we, it all ended up working out like we thought it would almost 10 years ago in 2015, this quarterback situation is very interesting. If you remember that year, Jake Coker got injured, missed some time during fall camp. Nobody knew until really after the season how serious that injury had been, uh, where he had to have a rod put in his leg, didn't have it removed well, after the season. They shot him up, taped him up every game. Uh, but he came back and still became the starting QB. I mean, I remember thinking Alec Morris might be the guy. He never took a snap. So we just didn't really know the health situation of Jake Coker. And we really didn't know how effective he'd be until they went out and played Wisconsin and Dallas and won it very impressively. Uh, but this time, it, this is as wide open as the quarterback position's been in a while. I still think Jalen Milrow is going to start, but I mean, that's, I guess, the first thing we need to talk about is the QBs. What is your take on the quarterback spot? Yeah, I expect Jalen Milrow to, to take the first snap against MTSU, but, um, you know, I think right now there probably is some, you know, legitimate um, jockeying for the, for the second spot. And, uh, you know, I mean, I haven't heard anything, um, you know, that come out of either one of the scrimmages that, that you know, probably um, there will be another quarterback that gets significant reps um, against MTSU. Now, you know, maybe this past weekend um, changed who that guy might be. I, I still think it's going to be uh, Milrow one and, and uh, Ty Simpson two. Um, that, that might change during the season, but that's kind of how I expect it to, um, you know, play out versus MTSU. But, um, you know, it's it's been the most talked about story, um, you know, in, in, in the Southeast since the A-Day game. And, um, you know, I, I think some things have kind of solidified um, over the summer. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's a, you know, a, a good problem to have sometimes, um, you know, when you – because – you know, a lot of these guys, you know, specifically Milrow and Simpson, you know, you got to question and wonder, I mean, how much were they developed last year, um, you know, when Bill O'Brien had the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, uh, you know, running the show. And, and, you know, there really wasn't a competition for the starting job. So, you know, if you really and truly, if you go back, um, you know, I thought Milrow did pretty well coming in cold off the bench when Bryce got hurt versus Arkansas. And, and I know in classic Alabama fan passion, um, you know, a lot of people like to lay that near loss to Texas A&M in his lap. But, you know, field goal kicker missed two field goals. The defense, you know, played pass defense like they were Vanderbilt. Um, there's there's a lot of blame to go around in that ATM game. 
And you know, there, there were times uh, specifically on that uh, beautiful pass that he threaded it across the middle to uh, Cameron Latu, um, you know, where he looked good. And, uh, you know, he is a weapon when he decides to take off and run. So, you know, he's got a lot of stuff, um, you know, a lot of, you know, positive stuff on that side of the column. And, you know, there's things that Ty Simpson does well. And, and uh, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how it all plays out. But that's kind of where I think we are today, um, you know, Drew, as far as the quarterback position goes. Yeah, I mean, I've been – I thought going into spring, Ty had a good shot to win the job, but he didn't separate, didn't take advantage of opportunities. And so far from what I've, you know, seen open practice-wise, I thought he was a little better than the others, but not by much in the open practice and what you're hearing from the scrimmages. I uh, he hasn't taken advantage of these opportunities either. And if you're the incumbent in Milrow, and I don't think Milrow's been spectacular, but he's been solid. And I think he's, you know, you're, you're going to have the lead because, like William just said, he, he played extensively against Arkansas, won a game on the road because that game was very much in doubt, uh, you know, because Arkansas came back, and made a game out of it, and he helped make some plays with his legs and with his arm. And then he did win the game, bottom line, against, uh, you know, in his first and only start against Texas A&M. So, he has played, and Tyler Buckner has too. But and I thought Buckner had a nice scrimmage, from what I understand yesterday. And and I will say, uh, you know, it was a bounce back because he didn't have a good first one. But you got to also understand with Buckner, he's only been with this team, you know, since January, and this is the first. He's only practiced with them only about half of fall camp. He's just now getting used to his surroundings, his supporting cast, and so I thought it was a positive for him. If you had to ask me yesterday, who I what how I ranked the QBs and. I rank them on just their team that they're quarterback and score. Uh, you know, from what I understand, Ty, Ty's group scored twice. It was the only one that did. He was he and I don't remember he or Dylan Lonergan. From what I was told, that neither one of them, uh, you know, I, I you know even got any reps with the ones. And if you had if you if you asked me based on my intel, what I how I would rank them, I would rank them probably one Buckner two, uh, Dylan Lonergan, three, Milrow. And the only reason I'm ranking Milrow third is because he didn't have any turnovers, but and he had a near touchdown pass that probably should have been a dive, from what I understand. If Benson had dove, he might have caught it and scored. It was just off his fingertips, so it was still a pretty good throw. If this team didn't score a touchdown, and so that's what I'm saying. And so, and Lonergan had a 75-yarder to law, but he also had a pick. So he had the only turnover from the QBs, from what I understand. So, I would rank Milrow third, but I would still have him as the starting quarterback. And then uh, Simpson fourth, because I just think he really struggled after a strong first drive. So that's how, and that's just that scrimmage. You know, right now, overall, I would still rank Milrow one. William, you're probably right. It's probably still will be Simpson two. We'll see what happens the next two weeks. It's been interesting because Buckner and Lonergan have both had their moments. So it's just really interesting that, uh, that there's not been a ton of separation. And that's the, Hardest thing to, to tell right now is to who's going to get the opportunities against Middle Tennessee. I would think it would just be two guys in snaps that matter. But, you know, who who, who will it be after Milrow? I, I, I couldn't tell you right now. I would have thought it was a slam dunk going to be Simpson a week ago. I still think it probably is, but I'm not sure. And, and Thomas, I'll let you comment. But I just think right now it's, it's a pretty wide open situation behind Milrow. Well, I think – that's right. I, I, nothing that Milrow has done has lost him the job. You know, has he been, as you said, spectacular? No. But he's been fairly consistent. I, he will be the first one off the bench, barring a Jake Coker-esque implosion over the next two weeks. Or not the first off the bench. He'll be the first guy taking snaps against Middle Tennessee. After that, you know, it's, it's hard to ignore that it suddenly feels like there's a one and then like a two and then maybe a two A and a two B. I mean, nobody from what I understand was able to really distinguish themselves. And so you kind of go back to the guy that at least has some electric ability because we both know Jalen Milrow in the open field is terrifying and hasn't been making too many key mistakes. Now, I think there's some caveats that need to get put into this scrimmage and then a lot of what has been seen in the open practice. And even going back to A-Day, 
a scrimmage is very similar. A scrimmage at A Day and a scrimmage that's closed are very similar in how they're scripted out for large swaths of it. You're having constant rotations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know it's hard to really, really fall into a rhythm. And I will say that outside of a Tuatango Vailoa scrimmage, I haven't seen quarterbacks just say come to come out to me and say, "Oh my God, this kid's just unbelievable." That's not to say that they've been just bums because, you know, since Tua, you've had Bryce Young and Mac Jones. But it's just not been something where, you know, I've come out saying, oh, my God, this offense is going to score on everybody. And included in that group is that 2020 offense, which, I mean, might statistically by some models is the greatest offense ever. So it's, to me, I think it's Milrow first first guy coming in but I think the discussion drew is how long a leash does Jalen Milrow have because is it until he makes a cataclysmic mistake or is it sort of like what we saw against USC where the the expectation was Blake Barnett was going to get repetitions but you know Jalen Hurts just kind of kept going and he was able to do the things he needed to do to keep that position so I think the leash discussion here is the most important part from where I'm standing. Yeah, I mean it, that it's it's going to be interesting, no question. That uh, and I and I just think that uh, you know the, the quarterback position, and it even was for Jake Coker uh, in that 15 season because they gave Cooper Bateman a start that'll live in infamy. But he had to finally win the team over, which he did. It cost Alabama a football game, but. He won the, the starting job, and a lot of it's going to just depend with these QBs on who gets the opportunities and who takes advantage of them. And if, you know, Milrow goes in there and doesn't turn it over and takes advantage of his opportunities and plays well, uh, then he'll keep the job. If he turns it over uh, like he did against A&M, and, and like William said, it wasn't all his fault, but the guys around him didn't play great at times on in, 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 in all three phases. But, you know, if but if uh, but if he does have turnover issues, and holds on to the ball too long. As you know, we heard yesterday, he uh, he took six or seven sacks, and, and they wanted him to stay within the pocket and distribute the ball. But if he uh, if he does have issues, then, you know, then uh, and, and the ball's not coming out on time, then he could lose the job. But he's going to have every opportunity to win it. Uh, I think he's earned that up to this point with the work he's put in, and, and we'll certainly see what happens. And another thing, uh, I was going to ask William about this, a, a surprise was, one, they've now switched, and I didn't think they'd do this, but they did it to, I think, help the development of in, of Caden Proctor. They have switched Tyler Booker to left guard. Coach Saban said that yesterday. Uh, we know that uh, Seth McLaughlin is locked in at center. Proctor seems to be pulling away from, uh, you know, uh, Elijah Pritchett at left tackle. Uh, and then uh, and then on the right side, they have, they've got J.C. Latham, who may be the best right tackle in college football, but now it's a battle between T.J. Ferguson, who has been at left guard, and Darian Dalcourt. Dalcourt started yesterday, from what we understand, went wire to wire at right guard. So interesting. Dalcourt's been a guy that's started at centers at times. Not doesn't have any starting experience at guard. He's played both guard spots, William. But sounds like uh, that that's a still an ongoing competition, and potentially maybe I know he's really practiced at left guard. Uh, you know, most of camp, uh, but. Uh, you know, maybe we, we might see, uh, you know, uh, uh, T.J. Ferguson uh, and, uh, and Dalcourt fight it out at right guard. Yeah, and, you know, the, the one thing that, that's just kind of perplexed me since the spring is um, because he's, you know, far and away the best tackle on the roster. I, I You know, I, I don't understand why it's not J.C. Latham at left tackle and Caden Proctor at right tackle. That's an easier place to – for a true freshman to get comfortable and play. Um, and, and there just hasn't really been any experimentation there. I, I, I don't know why. Um, it just right. seems kind of a no-brainer to me. But, um, you know, I, I think it's good that there's, um, you know, comp- uh, competition at that right guard spot. And, uh, you know, it, it could be a situation, you know, like you saw, um, you know, you touched on this earlier, Drew, with, with Randolph last year when, you know, everybody in the stadium knew the better player was the true freshman and Booker. I mean, he's, he's got a chance by the end of the season 
um, to not only be the best interior offensive lineman in the SEC, but maybe the whole damn country. Um, that, that's how much upside that kid has. Um, so, I mean, I, I really feel good about, um, you, you know, the, the offensive line. I mean, you've potentially got, you know, three first-round draft picks um, on it. And, and the last time Alabama was in that rarefied air was 2020. Um, you know, I, I think that the staff has done a really good job of making up for a lot of bad evaluations, um, specifically at the offensive tackle positions. Um, you, you know, when you look out there and you see a, a guy like Chris Owens starting at right tackle at Alabama, somebody's made some bad decisions. And uh, they, they've really rectified them in a hurry. Um, and, you know, if, if, if Alabama would have been somehow, you know, been able to, um, you know, pull the, the national championship, you know, trick out of their hat in 21, that would have easily have been the worst offensive line that I've seen Alabama put on the field and win the championship. I mean, I, I don't even know how they won an SEC championship with that bunch. But that's all behind us now. Um, I, I like to coach. Um I think they've got a collection of good players. Um, you know, if it's uh you know, if Ferguson ends up being the starter, um, you know, I think I saw a figure where the average size is six five, three twenty-eight, um, which you won't find a lot of NFL offensive lines that average that. So, you know, these kids are massive. Um, you know, I, I think they are gonna, you know, try and play, you know, um, you know, murder ball to a certain extent. And, and I think the more effectively they are able to do that, you know, it'll take pressure off of Tommy Reese as a play caller, and it'll take pressure off of uh, Jalen Milrow or whoever the starting quarterback is, um, because it'll just open up in a, in a very quick fashion, um, you know, the play action uh, passing game, um, you know, because they just can't stack the box. Um, and, and, you know, you know, load safeties up close to the line of scrimmage. Um, some things that defenses were able to do to them over the last couple of years because they didn't really have an effective ground game, and I don't know how much of a concerted effort they attempted to try to have it. Um, so, you know, I, I think the – you know, to me, as much conversation as this quarterback battle has gotten since the spring, um, and I'm going back to the end of 2021 with this criticism. Um, to me, the wide receiver group um, has continued to be the biggest issue. Um, too many drops. Um, you know, it was a huge eye opener for me in in the you know, at the end of the 2021 season. You know, after you lose Williams and and uh, Mechie. And you've only got one other guy named Ja'Cory Brooks that was capable of playing at an SEC level at that position, standing on the sideline. So, I mean, I think that's the group, at least on that side of the football, that's, that's still got a, a to-be-determined label on it from, from my standpoint. You know, you, you saw Burton kind of come on at the end of the year last year when Bryce got healthy. Um, you know, I've always liked Brooks. But, you know, some of these young cats um, – you know, didn't have problems catching the ball when they were in high school or they wouldn't have been rated as high as they were. But they, they show up and spend a little bit of time in Tuscaloosa and all of a sudden they got the dropsies. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think quarterback and and uh, and, and, to, and to a degree wide receiver, the two uh, question marks heading into uh, the opener uh, coming out of fall camp. I think the O-line's gelling. I think even if Dal Corse at right guard, I, I still would like to see if Ferguson's going to get some reps over there, even though I know he's been playing all left so far. But we also know if they had to, if Ferguson continued to come on and played left, they could switch Booker back to right. But, I mean, I do think the O-line, I think they have the answers there. Um, I, You know, I don't think the drops were as bad from the wide receivers yesterday. I think there was a couple. One wasn't really a drop. It was more of a thing of, uh, Markel Benton needed to dive and, and instead of trying to catch it off his fingertips. But uh, the one the one thing that I heard. I'm sorry, it, 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 not Mark, Markel Benton is not mentioned on this podcast. 
Malik Benson, I'm sorry. I don't know why I can <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, that's not the first time I've done that, everybody. So I apologize for uh, the, uh, the now, I guess, now former Jacksonville State linebacker. He's done. Uh, and now, and we, of course, we all know the that uh, Wild Turkey had him playing a key role in only the game of the century against LSU in uh, 2019. And that's why Thomas does never want to mention the name Markel Benton ever again. But Malik Benson. Pardon me, yes, uh, should have dove for that. The one encouraging thing that I heard, because he's had some trouble with drops, is uh, he made a diving catch yesterday and didn't drop me. I didn't hear of any drops from Isaiah Bond because, you know, he's got some game-changing speed. If he could be a little more consistent, he'd definitely be heavily involved in the rotation. Another guy, William, that I really like because he's got some Mechie-type qualities. He's very, very physical when he blocks and physical when he plays. The one explosive play in the scrimmage uh, was Kendrick Law, a 75-yarder from Dylan Lonergan. Dylan, from what I understand, made the most eye-catching throws. He had a couple in tight windows to C.J. Dupree, who I really like. Uh, you know, a little bit of a surprise. I also heard that Dupree was mostly with the second unit. They didn't do a lot of two tights. And Nye Black was with the first. But I think both those guys are really good players. And, and, uh, and, and I'll just say, most of the drops from what I heard yesterday came from the tight end room. Uh, Robbie Oots had a touchdown from, uh, you know, from uh, Tyler Buckner in, uh, in red zone work, but he did drop one on the sideline in 11 on 11. And then uh, Miles Kitzelman, uh, he had three drops. He did not have a scrimmage to remember. Uh, as I told someone, despite the fact he is a great, he was a great, great blocker and played so long in the NFL. It seemed as though that he channeled his inner Howard Cross and dropped several passes because Howard was not a great receiver. But, boy, he was one hell of a blocker. And I think Kitzelman can block, but he didn't have the greatest uh, receiving scrimmage. And so, uh, you know, that's uh, that that was a little bit of a negative. But I'll just say this. I, I, the tight end room, to me, is another one that's sneaky good. Nye Black's really improved. He had a great first scrimmage. He was solid yesterday, from what I understand. Had a few nice catches and runs. And you've got Dupree, who's, a, who's I think, the best all-around tight end. Danny Lewis had a catch or two. Uh, and so I think they've got a lot of good tight ends and oots. So I, I don't think Kitzelman will play a lot, mostly special teams and maybe a little goal line at tight end blocking. So those drops from Kitzelman I don't think should be a, a cause for alarm. Just, you know, just a, another chapter in the book. But I think the receivers were a little better yesterday, though. You mentioned Ja'Cory Brooks, and I've always liked him, too. I heard he had a, a big-time third-down drop. But that's where you just you can't – with this team, with, with, uh, with, the, with them struggling a little bit, making explosive plays, in a, in a game against a high-quality opponent, guys, you can't drop third-down throws like that. you got to come up with them. And so I think that's a lot of what William's talking about. This receiver core has to be more consistent. Agree. Yeah, they've got to help out the quarterback, no doubt about it. Uh, but I will say, again, I like the tight ends. I like where they are. I think Joe Cox has done a good job with them. We'll see where – I'm going to be interested with him to see the, the receiver rotation, though, because from what I've heard in the last you know week or so, uh, Jalen Hale, who did have a touchdown drop, that's another wide receiver drop, because Ty Simpson had a great first drive. They were driving down the field, 80-plus yard touchdown drive but he dropped one in the corner of the end zone. Uh, you know, so the hail had though been coming on, and I think that's why he got some more opportunities yesterday. But he had a drop, and then, like I said, Brooks did. But uh, the one encouraging part is, I, I agree with you totally. From what I understand, and it, it needs to happen because Burton is his last shot. He's had a really good camp. Uh, you know, he's really stepped forward. He made some plays yesterday. No big plays, but he made some plays. He did have what would have been a fumble, and it was by a guy to me, guys. I'll tell. I just this is my opinion on uh, from what I, 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 you know, I heard about this scrimmage. Is you know, I, my defensive MVPs from what, and it, they wouldn't have been two guys that would have been obvious. Like you would have think it'd be the flash guys like Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell, and I heard both of them did good stuff. Uh, you or you would have thought a, a Deontay Lawson or uh, Kool Aid McKinstry might have had a pick or something like that. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, uh, the, the guy, the two guys that I heard a lot about that really encouraged me, and uh, Thomas, you can comment on this, um, is I, I really heard good stuff 
uh, about Tim Keenan. From what I understand, he started next to Boigby, who had a nice scrimmage, and uh, Jaheim Modis. And they rotated Tim Smith in there. So I think Smith's been a little bit of a disappointment. But Keenan, he doesn't really look the part. He's, he's built like a fire plug, but he had a really nice game on the nose. And then I heard that uh, a guy that they took in the transfer portal, uh, uh, you know, uh, Jalen Key from UAB, he had a strip of what would have been a strip of certainly of, uh, uh, of uh, you know, uh, of Jermaine Burton. And he looked really good in coverage and also with his uh, tackling ability. He's a longer, bigger safety, like I was thinking when I saw him on tape and pictures of him. He, he reminds a lot of people of Mark Barron, and he's been a quick study. I think he's going to start, from what I understand right now anyway, there's a good chance he starts uh, next to Caleb Downs. So, Thomas, those are those two guys, as far as Tim Keenan and Jalen Key, uh, I heard a lot of good stuff about yesterday. Well, I think that, that your your hearing was accurate, but more than anything, I want to touch on both Caleb Downs and Jalen Key, who look like they're in line to make a significant contribution to this upcoming team. And, okay, I want to preface this. I'm not saying that this Alabama team is going to win the national championship. What I am saying is when you look at what it takes to have success at the absolutely elite level. You need from every recruiting class you bring in, whether it's transfers or true freshmen, you need to have five or six really legitimate positive contributions from that group of call it 20 to 30 players. Let's just let's, let's give it a wide range. And you know, we already talked, you just mentioned Jalen Key and Caleb Downs. Uh, we're going to talk about some running backs that look good, and we also already talked about Caden Proctor. So, you know, that's four that I think Alabama fans can be pretty excited about moving forward. So, you know, we're already in that range, Drew, where Alabama's getting contributions from young players, and beyond maybe one or two more, it's absolute gravy. And that's a good spot to be in. But when you're talking about defense... The thing that I heard, you know, I know you had mentioned MVPs, but I think the thing that I heard the most from people I was speaking to was how good the defense was at all three levels. You know, the, the interior defensive line, which frankly was eh, let's call it solidly eh, last year, had a good scrimmage. Uh, Deontay Lawson looks the part from the linebacker group. And then the secondary, I, I mean, you're not going to be able to completely shut anybody down anymore. That's just not something you're ever going to see. The the 2011 Alabama defense, that, that I'm not even sure that's possible in this era of football. But you can certainly make things difficult and make teams highly inefficient. And I feel very confident that this defense is going to be able to do that because it looked like there was strength everywhere. The obvious counterpoint to that is, well, that means Alabama's offense is bad. I'm, okay, kind of, sort of, but I think that's I think that's a false premise, where a good performance does not necessarily mean a bad performance from the other side of the ball. It just means that you have to feel confident that that's going to travel, and that's really what I've heard a lot of with Alabama. Whatever starting eleven they push out on defense, there's going to be. A lot of talent. I mean, good Lord, if, if anything, Alabama is the most talented team in the country by recruiting rankings. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of talent that steps out there. It's solid everywhere. And so Alabama might lose some games because there are questions on this football team. But they're certainly not going to go quietly into this good night, Drew. Yeah, they're not. And it's interesting, too, because – in the secondary, from what I understand, Devontae Smith did not see any reps after starting much of the open practice, you know, when, when uh, they were doing, uh, you know, 11 on 11 and, and, and drills. He was with the first group. But now it turns out, and it explains it, because I, I was, from what I understand, he was not seen yesterday, but he was limited. He got, he got his foot stepped on late last week. So uh, that uh, limited him. So he did not see action. This opened the door for a guy like, Jalen Key, who I think has been coming on anyway, but I think Devontae is still a quality football player. 
And I'll tell you what, uh, the, the quick study of, you know, of Jalen Key and then Smith's development uh, has allowed Malachi Moore to go back to star, which he's played most of his career. And William, I was told uh, by someone, uh, by a coach that has been to practices and seen him, that it looks like uh, <laughs> that Malachi has uh, gained 10 to 15 pounds and looks stronger physically because, as we know, he's missed some time with injuries the last couple years. And after that great freshman year, we haven't seen as much consistency out of him. But being a senior and, and where he should know the defense left and right, uh, if he's healthy uh, and got his mind right, uh, he, 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 he should be – pretty solid and then of course you've got a a lot of competition behind him the guy Earl Little Jr. we saw his great interception in the at the A-Day game and then from what I understand he got the one pick yesterday of Dylan Lonergan so uh, that's a pretty good competition right there at star between a veteran like uh, uh, Malachi Moore who's played a lot of snaps and then somebody uh, like uh, you know uh, uh, a young kid like Earl Little Jr. who's a redshirt freshman. Yeah, and I'm glad y'all spent some time, uh, you know, talking about the DBs. Um, <clears throat> you know, if I got a former teammate that's got two kids on the team this year, and he he's been to a lot of practices and and the scrimmages and stuff, and he seems to think that. Look, don't get me wrong. There's talent all over the field, but when you start talking about position groups, um, he he feels like that the three most talented positions. Um, you know, both from a talent standpoint and, and depth is the DBs, the linebackers, you know, inside and outside combined um, and, and the running back run. Um, so, you know, I don't I don't think it's, you know, we're, we're sitting here today talking about, um, you know, Jalen Key potentially starting next to Caleb Downs back there on the back end. And it's not like Jalen Key just strolled in here and and, you know, took that job without a fight. You know, I think before Devonta Smith started having some injuries, it was a, a pretty, pretty nice little battle there. Um, you know, before Key started to pull away a little bit and then, you know, having Smith back healthy, um, you know, by the first game, hopefully, um, you know, I think you've got a lot of depth back there on the back end as well. Now you've got a fully healthy Malachi Moore, um, you know, it seems like Kool-Aid and Arnold have had good camps. And uh, so, you know, I, I think, um, um, you know, and, and I think potentially by maybe the midseason, um, uh, if, if they can develop, uh, you know, James Smith and the Renard guy on the interior of the defensive line, you know, I mean, that unit has a chance to be, uh, you know, pretty salty by midseason. I think so as well. Yeah, and I think the secondary, um, I know they lost a lot of guys to the NFL, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and certainly, and uh, and Demarco Helens, who's off to a great start with two picks for the Falcons, and Jordan Battle to the Bengals, and we know Branch with the Lions. They're all looking good in camp, but uh, I think Thomas, I'll let you come in. But uh, with these, with, with the the portal additions of Amos, who I've heard some really good things about as well, and uh, he's, I think he's definitely that third corner with Terion and Kool Aid. And then with uh, a Jalen Key and also these young guys uh, that they've got back there who like Caleb Downs, who's uh, going to be, we think, a special player. And certainly I think they've got either guys like Jake Pope, too. I think there's more depth and athleticism in the secondary than there w- was last year. And last year was very experienced. But I think this secondary with the improvement of Kool-Aid from hopefully year two to year three, like it, he did from year one to year two, and with Terion Arnold uh, being more settled, and then these portal additions, and then these other younger guys like Devontae Smith improving and pushing to play the secondary, uh, and, and T-Rob doing a good job coaching them, got a chance to be better this year, Thomas. And and more, I thought they were more ball hawking, uh, from what I understand, and they there's been more forced turnovers, fumbles, interceptions. Because I think all three of us can agree that Alabama wasn't disruptive enough defensively last year. They didn't force enough turnovers. Uh, on the turnover point, that's absolutely correct. I believe last year was least under Nick Saban for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, now, funny, funny thing that you mentioned the uh, the secondary, and I'm glad you brought up T. Rob. 
Remember when we were, everyone was shocked that Eli Ricks left? Well, <laughs> so suddenly it makes a lot more sense given, uh, given the, 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 the room that has come around it. But you're absolutely right. There's a lot of depth there, and you, you know, T-Rob needs to be retained. That's absolutely for sure. And one of the things that I think might pay dividends, you know, at last year we all bemoaned how many penalties the Alabama Crimson Tide committed. And a significant percentage of them were pass interference penalties. And there has been a rule change that I think needs to get spotlighted or a point of emphasis where, and how this actually works out, I don't know, but by the letter of the law, it's no longer going to be pass interference if a quarterback underthrows something and the wide receiver jumps into the DB. Now, what that actually looks like, I don't know, but that's probably going to help the Alabama secondary as much as anything. And at the end of the day, you know, that's a good thing. You know, it, it's a positive to get that out because I, I really think PI is too ticky tack. And I'm not saying you should let a DB mug a wide receiver, but if a, if a DB touches a wide receiver, that shouldn't mean that uh, it's a calamity either. But to your point, Drew, absolutely. You know, I think T-Rob is, he has been extraordinarily consistent. I hope Nick Saban, you know, can retain him. That sounds like it's going to be more and more difficult, quite honestly. And... We'll see. You know, it's that's going to be one of those ones. I'll be honest. The day the depth chart releases, I would expect to see not as much discussion because the quarterbacks will be top line, but there will be a lot of slashes, which means there will be a lot of players that can make a positive contribution to this football team. And good lord, we've seen it before with a few years ago with the running back room get absolutely destroyed. You hope it doesn't happen. But at least at the end of the day, if it happens, there are bodies that are not going to make the production fall completely off a cliff for this Alabama defense, Drew. Yeah, I really just like the direction that Steele's taking this defense. And, you know, at times I haven't been as high on him when he's been at Alabama the previous two times. But when you saw what he did at Auburn and the way those players all believed in him and then uh, you know how, and, and we already brought up the uh, the disaster known as Markel Bitten and the LSU game plan, accidentally anyway. But don't forget, Steele's defense against Auburn slowed down LSU more than any other. And I think Steele, being an, a, a rover and not coaching a certain position, uh, Robert Bala coaching the inside backers is going to help. Hopefully, you know it's going to help the defensive line development. Uh, you know, the one of the first things I heard yesterday was that Freddie Roach was coaching his butt off and you could hear him yelling and screaming and everything. And hopefully that's the case. The D-line needs to continue to develop. I think going into camp, it was the biggest question mark. Along, There were some questions about the secondary, but there were some pieces there. I think those questions are being are being answered or uh, have been answered with the secondary. The D-line, I still think the depth is a, is a, is a question. Now, Tim Keenan uh, coming on and, and, you know, hopefully Tim Smith still being a, a big part of the rotation uh, and being a good player is going to that'll give you four. Now you need some other guys, yeah, and uh, you know they, they William I, and you and uh, you guys kind of mentioned one of them, Jordan Renaud. I heard he flashed as a freshman in the scrimmage yesterday. We'll see if he makes an impact on the depth chart. But uh, Anquin Barnes is another name I've heard. Monkel Goodwine. There's been a few uh, that you've heard their names mentioned. Isaiah Hastings. We'll see who ends up ultimately being on that second group, John Marion Latham. So I think they have the guys. And I remember, you know, a, a quote on media day from uh, Kevin Steele, because we won't hear from Steele again. He said, I think we have the pieces and the talent at the D-line. We just got to keep working the process. And their development, William, as far as – because I thought the biggest uh, – along with not creating enough turnovers, and this kind of goes hand in hand, the biggest weakness on, on the defense last year was – they didn't get enough uh, push and disruption from the defensive line. There was no even Barmore or Federian Mathis up there. Uh, they didn't. Uh, they did not create enough negative plays. The run defense wasn't good enough. If the run defense is improved and they can and they can make teams one dimensional, I still think they've got enough guys. The outside linebacker room to me is the deepest on the defense. They should be able to rush the passer. 
We've had, we've heard good things from Turner and from Braswell, even Quindarius Robinson, who stayed and stayed the course, didn't transfer. I, and another guy, guys, who's under the radar, William, I don't know. I know you talked to a lot of your former teammates, a lot of guys that go to practice, but he's had two good scrimmages in a row, and he had a sack of Milrow yesterday. Keanu Coote seems to be coming on. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think, Drew, this is all um, very – you know, similar to the, you know, the downtick in talent um, on the other side of the line of scrimmage. I think this is where, you know, Alabama kind of took a step back since 2020 is, is they had a lot of misses. You know, you take the, the outside linebackers out of the mix, but they had a lot of misses on defensive line and inside linebacker as well. Um, yeah you know, the last couple of years, that, that is not the standard of play that we've come uh, grown accustomed to seeing out of Alabama inside linebackers. So that they've, they fixed that, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, Kevin Steele has, has come in here and um, simplified some signals and, and, you know, tried to um, promote an atmosphere where the players aren't confused and they don't hesitate and they can play fast. So um, hey, I'm really looking forward to, um, you know, seeing, you know, how that unit, um, you know, plays once the season gets started. Because um, I do think you have a chance to see, um, you know, some improvement. And, and you know, the improvement might be, um, you know, on both sides of the ball, just, just not making stupid penalties. And, and uh, you know, we, we had a, you know, a lot of offsides penalties on the, the front seven last year on defense, a lot of illegal procedures on the O-line. So, well, they, they can get a lot better in a hurry just by eliminating all the, you know, the bad, silly mistakes that they made last year. Yeah, they really can, uh, no doubt. And uh, I think the defense has got a chance to be really good. The first unit, I think, has been uh, consistently getting better in camp. And I think it's going to be a much better overall group than last year. I know last year had some talent, but I think coaching matters. I think bringing in steel matters and some of these portal additions. Rick's had a pick six for the Eagles, but he just never seemed to buy in last year. He had a hard time, uh, but he, he there's no questioning his talent. He's probably going to play a while in the NFL, uh, but I, I think the chemistry is better, um, certainly on the, with this defensive group. They look more cohesive, uh, no question about that. And then when you look at it offensively, we've already been over the offensive line. We talked about that the quarterback position is going to have to play itself out when you start the season. Certainly wide receiver, the rotation is going to have to continue to evolve. Uh, you think it's going to be Burton. I still think they're going to trust Brooks to go out and make plays. Uh, Bond, uh, Kendrick Law, we'll see. I mean, Kobe Prentice, who would have been my offensive MVP, caught, you know, from what I understand, about seven passes, had one of their rare touchdowns. Uh, he's, he's usually a very reliable football player. Not an explosive, super explosive guy, but someone you can count on to move the chains. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and so, but and then we talked about how sneaky good the tight end room is. Now to kind of switch gears, though, one thing you got to play three phases. I will say I think this has a chance to be the, the most well-rounded kicking game of the Nick Saban tenure. Uh, will Riker, from what I understand, was about five for five yesterday. Talty uh, made a short one and then would have had one. It would have been good from fifty, about fifty plus yards, but it was a little wide. He has plenty of leg. But you know, it's going. To, the guy's going to be Riker. He's the best kicker of the Saban era. Uh, and then you've got, uh, you know, and really since he graduated, J.K. Scott, Alabama hasn't had a great punter. But Burnup has gotten steadily better for the last two years. And what I understand, had a spectacular scrimmage yesterday. As a matter of fact, he pinned the offense deep inside the five. And yet, uh, that was when Buckner had his highlight. He took that group down to score a touchdown, ninety about ninety-five plus yards. But Burnup pinned them. The kicking game, and then we know Kool-Aid can return punts. The um, one small surprise uh, was Kool-Aid was the backup punt returner was Cole Adams. From what I understand, he got most of those reps. wasn't really in the receiver rotation yet, but certainly as a and he was also Cole Adams with Kendrick Law as first team like kickoff return. So I thought that was interesting. But it sounds like the kicking game uh, could be very very solid, William. Yeah, I've I've heard you know, just glowing reports about uh, Burnup um, all summer. It sounds like he's at least experimenting with a more traditional, um, you know, punting 
um, delivery going away from kind of the the, the Aussie rule uh, style of punting and going more traditional. Um, I heard he dropped a couple inside the five yard line yesterday. So yeah, I think this uh, you know special teams unit um, you know really has a chance to uh, um, you know I, you know really last year you know outside of of Kool Aid's punt returns. Um, you know, I, I thought that, that overall that was kind of a less than normal Nick Saban special teams unit. Um, they, they, you know, had some, you know, serious, serious screw ups at inopportune times during games, the, um, you know, touching the ball on the, um, um, you know, in the Tennessee game contributing to a turnover. I mean, there was a lot of those things sprinkled in um, throughout the course of the 22 season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Thomas, uh, I wanted to swing back defensively. One other small surprise that I saw uh, uh, that I was uh, hearing about and, uh, and is it, it, interesting because – and we saw a little bit of it at the open practice, but from what I understand, he took most of the reps yesterday. Uh, and he's another portal transfer. Trez Marshall from Georgia knows their system real well. I mean, Alabama and Georgia's systems, everybody knows, are nearly identical defensively. Uh, he was uh, at the will linebacker next to Deontay Lawson and heard very good things about Lawson. But uh, Marshall and Jihad Campbell and Jihad had been with the ones in the open practice most of the time. Uh, but Jihad uh, was part of the rabbit rusher third down package, too. But uh, it looks like uh, that uh, Jihad and uh, Tres Marshall are in a battle for that will spot. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays itself out. But I thought it was interesting. He was another guy that. I wasn't anticipating seeing with the ones after we saw the open practice who played in front of a, a very athletic and fast guy and Jihad Campbell, who we've noticed, uh, you know, improve a lot and, and flash a lot since the spring. You're absolutely right there. I want to go back to one point, though. I apologize that I'm going to take your question and run it with a different way. Um, I have been very, very outspoken about Pete Golding making defense vector calculus when it only needs to be college algebra and I think to your point it needs to be re-emphasized the defense from what I understand is playing a lot faster uh, I thought we saw that in 8-8 pretty well as well and that's nothing but good for this group of players now it's not so silly as see ball get ball that's not you know Nick Saban would probably explode like just spontaneously combust if that was the defensive game plan but Certainly, you know, less of, you know, make an omelet, put your shoes on, you know, cure cancer, and then, oh, by the way, the ball gets snapped, which sometimes I feel like happened with how Pete Golden called the defense. So to your point, though, you know, where is that communication? Where is that the key? Where, where, what's that going to mean? And it really comes from the mic, which we've already said Deontay Lawson, from what we understand, had a great scrimmage and Jihad Campbell in some cases, and Tresman Marshall. And, you know, I appreciate you bringing up Tresman Marshall because really, to my previous point, you know, five contributions from transfers or, you know, new players. That's number five already. And that's going to be a position battle. Again, let's see what the depth chart has in a couple of weeks. But in either case, it's great because, you know, we did see Campbell in the open practice, but Tresman Marshall can help with that communication and can help with you know getting new players accustomed to this sort of standard because he's been in it as well. I will say one thing, and uh, this is going to kind of be an overarching theme of this scrimmage. Realize that this past week was arguably the worst week of fall camp, and William, I hope you'll comment on this after I get done with this explanation. It was... After the first scrimmage, and this was all football, all the time. You know, you're having 12, 13, 14-hour days, lots of practices. And, you know, I, I don't know what this weather's like up where you guys are, but Mobile has been only slightly, you know, less hot than the seventh circle of hell. So, <laughs> you know, those players were grinding, and I imagine some of them took a step back a little bit. And that's just, you know, that's the nature of a highly competitive environment. So... You know, that, that sort of thing, it doesn't surprise me that a guy like Tresman Marshall, who's been through the battles, has been able to sort of step up and get his name, like, out there to be a positive contributor for this team. 
But but William, you know, let let me ask you about the the structure of fall camp from from your perspective. Am I completely off base saying this was the brutal week, given that next week school starts? Well, you're you're fifty percent correct. Um, there there's a whole lot of kids in that locker room um, that are glad that school's fixing to start. That being said, um, th these kids have no idea um, what the true brutality of fall camp used to be. Um, you know, they, they can't have two, two days consecutively of full pads practices. They can't have two days consecutively of two a, of, uh, two -a days. Uh, back in the dark ages, um, hell, my freshman year, Curry had us going three times a day. Um, now the, the middle practice was just a 45 minute walkthrough of special teams, but I can promise you just standing outside in this August heat for 45 minutes it is enough to suck the life out of people. Um, but the, 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 the schedule that we were on, um, it was twice a day, uh, full pads every day. And, you know, the, when I mean when when you know no nobody enjoyed going to school but everybody welcomed you know the first day of school because that's when two a days would end for us um, you know so th th they've taken a lot of the um, the brutality out of it uh, with with all the new rules and regulations that the NCAA has passed but yeah there's there, there's a lot of kids in that locker room that are sore uh, they're physically and mentally exhausted. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the next two weeks, you know, you'll see them probably starting, you know, this week, they'll get on their, um, game week type schedule and, uh, you know, things will go back to more of a traditional practice mode in season. And there's a lot of kids that welcome that. Well, there is William. And I got to ask you too, after the first two scrimmages, uh, we know we've we've stated that the quarterback position is probably going to have to play itself out after the first couple of games of uh, uh, of the season, and that would be, of course, especially Middle Tennessee and potentially even the the somebody playing well against the Longhorns and taking the job. But uh, and we, you know we've talked about a little bit the right guard spot on the offensive line, the rotation at wide receiver. Uh, we we know that running back, and let's also. Not we we will tell our listeners and reiterate uh, that potentially the most talented running back didn't play us. They had a little bit of a, of a thigh contusion. He's missed some practice time. We I voted him MVP of the eight again. He didn't get it. Certainly that was Malachi Moore. Uh, but we know Justice Haynes did not play. Uh, Roy Dell probably had the best day. Got the most work. Had a goal line touchdown from about three yards out. From what I understand and. Certainly, Jam Miller, I think they showed it on the highlights. He made the best catch of the day, by the way. Uh, One-hander on that drive from Ty Simpson that nearly ended in a touchdown. Jam made a great catch. Uh, he had a really nice scrimmage as well. And we only saw a little bit of Jace McClellan. But we, the running back room is still very, very deep. But I guess my point is, William, can, are, are there jobs that can still be won in, in, without a scrimmage in fall camp or has a lot of that already been those decisions been made in your opinion? Well, I, I think it's always a, a ongoing kind of to be determined situation. Um, you know, yeah, the 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 guys that are going to you know have those jobs are, are already kind of trending in that direction, but um, things can change over the next two weeks. You know, once they start getting into you know game prep mode. Um, you know, the, 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 the mental aspect of the game becomes more of a premium than, you know, being able to go out and perform physically in, you know, 113 degree temperatures. Um, you know, and then, you know, once school starts, you've got to balance the, the football school life, um, you know, equally and, and, you know, tend to that as well. So, yeah, I mean, there's still some things that can change and I, and I certainly think, um, there's some things that can change maybe by halftime of the Texas game. Um, so, you know, you know, but, but, but these next two weeks, you know, you'll see them get into more of a traditional, you know, Monday through Friday practice mode. And, uh, you know, they'll start prepping for, um, 
you know, MTSU and to a lesser degree, Texas. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just, you know, a, a different type of schedule and, you know, the veterans are already accustomed to it. The ones that, you know, it might have the biggest impact on, you know, are guys like Caleb Downs and Justice Haynes, you know, some of these, um, you know, newcomers that, that have never been through um, a regular season, you know, type of schedule on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as we're the final few minutes of this opening season, and I'm going to call it that, the season opener, uh, another year of BAMS radio as we take you through football season and, of course, recruiting and into basketball. Uh, and uh, we certainly look forward to being with everyone this year. Thomas, uh, uh, what are your ultimate takes? Of course, we know quarterback is unsettled right now. I still think the bones of the team, the rest of it around the quarterback offensively, I think they're, they they can answer those questions. I, I really like where the defense and the kicking game are. The first things that I thought coming out of the second scrimmage was they were really good on defense and in the kicking game. It's kind of like an old-school team like that William played for. I think they're going to be able to run the football. It's just going to depend on how good this team can be with how the quarterback and the receivers come of age. But uh, what are your biggest takes uh, uh, and questions on the team? And, and where do you think they are heading into this uh, – not game week, but this is the last. This is going to be maybe a walk through this coming Saturday. You got two weeks until uh, they make their debut against Middle Tennessee. So I think the big thing is there were issues over the past year or two about certain segments of the team traveling. Uh, Alabama hasn't been a very good road team for the past couple of years. You know, what did we see last year? Tennessee. Last year, LSU. Two years ago, Texas A&M. And my impression from what I understand of this team is this team's going to travel. The defense is going to play fast. They're going to play hard. They're going to play aggressively. I, you know, I like to think that some of the, I want to put my remote through the television screen moments where it's very obvious the defense is confused because they're trying to, again, do a vector calculus problem before the snap. That's going to go away. The other thing is, I do think that the offensive line has really, really improved over the past 18 months. And as William said earlier, the misevaluations have been corrected through some really, really solid recruiting. With that in mind, you're going to have a circumstance from what I can see where the team's gonna be able to run the ball. And that offense is gonna travel. Just, you know, period, end of story. That offense is gonna travel and that's not a bad thing. That's, you know, that's going to fix the key problem from the past really two years. And I realize Alabama's big games are generally at home. But I, there is some kind of crazy voodoo in the water in Auburn, Alabama. And every time Alabama goes down there, even if Alabama is the best team in the country, number one overall, and Auburn is fringe top 25, maybe fringe top 30, that game is a brawl. It happened two years ago. Alabama lost the two years before that. So, you know, knowing that two weeks away from the opener that I think, or not thinking that, not knowing that, excuse me, thinking that is the reality, Drew, that's really comforting for me as a fan. And, you know, Alabama has only been the best team at it for a few years so getting back to what made alabama great yeah sign me up for that i'll watch that every day and twice on sunday drew yeah we will no doubt and then we're going to come to you now from a weekly basis uh, we usually will be uh you know coming to you on sundays uh and uh during the season and hopefully next week as well uh certainly we'll have more intel from keeping our ear to the ground from practice this week no scrimmage of course coming up on Saturday, but we'll also be monitoring some recruiting situations. I know uh, Edric Houston is uh, the, from Buford, Georgia, is going to decide this week. Uh, you know, he is going to commit. I, you know, right now I would say Ohio State would probably be the, considered the favorite, but you never know because Kamarion Franklin, who Alabama wasn't really involved with, um, and Kamarion uh, ended up committing to Ole Miss, staying in state when Auburn thought they had a heck of a chance to, to get him. That did not happen. And then – don't forget, Alabama did just take, and, uh, you know, William, I, I, 
I, I know I know I'm getting up in age now, and I can remember watching Dre Kirkpatrick uh, play against uh, Brett Booth of Tuscaloosa County. Uh, it's hard to believe it's been about 10, 11 years ago. Now he's already got a son that's committing to Alabama, Dre Jr., uh, but uh, shows you how quickly the years pass. And, of course, Dre's more of a safety. His dad was a corner, long-rangey guy that played on one of the best defenses in Alabama history, the 11 national champs, and played for a long time in the NFL, had a hell of a career. And now his son, Dre Jr., is uh, going to Alabama. Going to be more of a nickel or a safety, but a, a really good player. And Alabama, you know, now has a, a top three class nationally. Uh, you know, or, in, or top four, whichever poll you look at, uh, you know, it, it fluctuates because Florida and Alabama kind of been going back and forth. But they, they look like they're going to have a, a very solid recruiting class. They may add a piece or two more before, uh, you know, and uh, the season starts against Middle Tennessee. We'll see. But I believe they're up now to uh, 18 commitments. Uh, so that'll be that'll be interesting to see how many more pieces they add. And we'll certainly uh, be uh, continuing to monitor that. But Dre Kirkpatrick Jr. Uh, just committed to Alabama on Friday, and so he is the latest piece of that puzzle. And certainly we'll be monitoring some recruiting storylines before the show next Sunday. But uh, for William Redfish Barger, for uh, Thomas the Wizard Watts, we appreciate everybody. I know we've been getting a lot of questions about when we were going to restart BAMS Radio. Well, today was the day, certainly after the second scrimmage of fall camp. We're all looking forward to the new season. The offseason's gone by. It seems much quicker than last year. Can't wait to see this team. There's going to be a lot of intrigue because you want to see how this wide receiver position, you know, the rotation it works itself out. And, of course, who's going to be pulling the trigger at quarterback. And we're going to be following those uh, storylines and many more. But we certainly always appreciate everyone for showing a, a keen interest in BAMS Radio. It's why we continue to bring it to you each and every year for the University of Alabama, for Thomas, for William. Everybody have a great rest of your week. And roll tide, and we'll talk to you on Sunday.